Up next is a conversation with Cedric Lejeune on the topic of color consistency in post-production workflows. Cedric's company is Workflowers, and he specializes in digital cinema, and video workflows, infrastructures, and color science. What I'm wanting in this interview is an opportunity for Cedric to talk about the issues and opportunities for small production companies in particular, focusing on, or could be focusing more on, color calibration, color correction, color grading, things of that nature, all in the color area, to increase the production value of their work and be more competitive. I mean, let's, let's face it, especially down here in a regional area, there's a lot of competition for projects. And um, you can either continue to run your price down or you can find ways to increase the production value of what you're doing and in doing so, separate yourself from the competition some and generate more business for yourself. And one area I think that really needs some education is this whole area of color. Somehow I think maybe it's missed in, um, in trainings for schools and stuff like that. People get busy doing production work and they just figure the color-related issues get handled later. It's good enough. But I think it's important now. So I want to welcome Cedric to the show. Hi, Cedric. Uh, thank you, Tom. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. And you're in France, right? I am indeed, yes. Yeah, and next week you're preparing to go to, is it Asia Broadcast in Singapore? Yeah, Broadcast Asia is a big show in, in, in Asia and a, a great way to connect to my clients over there. Oh, far out. Well, so, and you, it seems like I remember you've actually got a seminar planned. Is it a one-day one day event or something like that? Yeah, that's something we have with the guys from Cinetal and Dolby. Uh, they really want to um, um, bring some education to the market. Uh, around colors because as you mentioned it's something that is still some kind of a black art you know uh, there are definitely darker reasons and people um, don't really understand why it's so important and and thank you for actually bringing that it's it's um, it's linked to the production value it's it's very important and I, I believe it's also a way to differentiate it's it's something that has a very strong impact over the storytelling yeah, well, thanks. Thanks. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I came about this in a rather uh, interesting series of events is I've just done more color work myself and have gone out to the medium-sized production houses, what few there are around here anymore, because a lot of them have just sort of broken up into small little groups, is um, they just sort of look at you with a blank stare with the color. The two things, one is they assume color grading is still in the uh, $800 an hour frame. They just assume it's hugely expensive and only blockbuster videos do that. Or they just really don't know anything about it at all. Period. You know, yeah. they just don't. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's kind of a, it's a, so it's an opportunity there. But let's back up a little bit. What I want to know is what's your original inspiration for being so focused on color science? I mean, I went through your curriculum and the things that you do, and I know you teach this course in other places that you'll be teaching it again in the States, I'm sure. Um, but but you, you've got a, a sort of a focus on color science and, and, and how does that relate to higher production values and storytelling? Well, the thing really is there is something about that is really fascinating about color in the sense that you have two aspects. One is really deep science and maths uh, where you can, I mean, I, I'm, I come from, uh, from that kind of, of background. Um, and uh, I used to be a researcher, actually. Nice. So uh, it's, um, I mean, the intellectual challenge there is, is quite deep because uh, still today you have people who are researching about colors 
who are trying to understand how, how our brain works with colors and how color impacts our emotions. And there is also, and that's the second part, really, you have, you know, pretty much as music, colors bring emotions. And as, as you've tried, you know, uh, if you bring something to a client, and that's something I started with, uh, you know, when, when um, Apple bought um, uh, Final Touch and, and made right. it uh, color, mm-hmm. you know, in the Final Cut Studio Suite, uh, suddenly you, you had the tools to, to change things. And people with a little taste or something could do great things and then feel all the power uh, that gets in the storytelling. I was lucky enough to do uh, traditional photography you know, when I was a teenager, and I played with bass and all that. And then uh, I was so lucky because uh, when I stepped in, in, in that business, I, w- I became in charge of, of a big project, which was uh, uh, the implementation at Eclair Laboratoire, which is one of, which used to be one of the biggest labs in Europe of their um, digital cinema uh, uh, workflow. So that was, that was a, a, a big project. And I was lucky enough to work with uh, traditional lab timers so people really change the colors of, of films and, and and really we're talking about magic. Those guys they play with I mean it's not you know, a little bath, it's just like a huge factory. <laughs> it's it's the thing about it, it's just like you know, Charlie and the chocolate factory, but it's just like film everywhere. <laughs> and it's crazy. And those guys know they change one thing somewhere and then suddenly it becomes more red or more contrast. It's crazy. It's 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 it was absolutely amazing. And um and the guys were so nice because I was bringing them uh, the digital stuff. And at that time, it was with Colossus, the, the product that became uh, Luster then mm. uh, for, for Autodesk. But the guy said, you know, before, before you show us anything, um, let us show our, what is our job, you know, what we are doing, what we are trying to do to, to the picture. And then I understood what they were able, able to do. I mean, with very, very simple controls. You couldn't believe how... I mean, when you're lab timer, you change something, you know, and you have three parameters, red, green, blue. Right, that's it. <laughs> you know, and then you underexpose or overexpose, the, then you change the, the speed of the, of the machine. Right. And you see the results, you, you do your change, and 24, 48 hours later, you get the result. You right. know, it's just not like pushing a knob. It's, it's crazy. And those guys, they brought me so much and got really interested in, in, into that. And, and then I could connect with the mass. And the maths, well, you know, at some point, guys, you know, because it's what was really important to them is that as soon as they got digital, they understood that they were able to bring more to the project. Mm-hmm. But to be able to do so, they had to um, see the right colors. And with film, film being a, such a, a complex process um, and, and totally nonlinear in the way it processes colors, we had to build all, the, all this calibration with the lab, but first make sure the, ca- the lab was stable and everything. And since I had a, uh, my first education was in chemicals, uh, I knew about all, all that. So I, I said, yeah, let's, let's try to do it. And, and it, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. And, um, and since, I mean, it's, it's been now uh, about, uh, we started in 2001, so it's been 12 years working in that, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, yeah, you sound excited about it. I mean, it's a lost art to some degree, right? Yeah, it's um, uh. it's it's very interesting because at that at that time we were really at the really beginning of of what's what used to be called DI, you know. Yes. Uh, and it was so exciting because we really had to invent the whole thing. Okay, so kind of brings me up to the present. Then you've got the 
Broadcast Asia conference in Singapore coming up, and um, you're going to be talking about workflow and color science and and kind of a basic fundamental question to ask. I mean, why can't you just depend on the vendor for that kind of technical information? Isn't that uh, – I mean, wh why is it you have to have someone come in from the outside to teach these things? I'm just kind of wondering how this gap has occurred in everyone's knowledge about color. It's a great opportunity for us as colorists to help fill it, but could you speak more about that? Yeah, sure. It's, it's the – when you buy a creative system, you know, from any vendor, um, the vendor comes with a workflow and a certain knowledge of what this system is, is um, capable of doing. You yeah. know? But also, you, you cannot, cannot expect um, the guys who write the code for those systems to have the culture of, of picture and everything. And then they might just not know... Uh, what are your projects? You know that's something very important, and and that's the thing is workflowers is uh, there is a lot of, about color science, and and quality control, and and again color science is, is really a one part in quality control, and a lot of it is about making sure that uh, we ingest the fire right, you know the, when when the the signal gets in the facility, make sure that we don't. Um, destroy it we don't uh, lose any uh, any information there so it's 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 a whole process um, color is is one part of it but at the end of the day we are talking about a workflow so it's really um, how things get in get out and the only way to have a workflow that fits your way of working is to understand what you're doing yeah so it's it means what is your business? I mean, it can be something very simple. You can be doing you know, commercials in, in, in one particular you know, part of, of Asia, and you can be doing feature film in Australia, and, you can be, and it's all different. And that's something, for example, uh, some big you know, international um, groups have tried to replicate things they have done in Hollywood in different places in the world, and it wouldn't work because the cultural impact, you know, the way we work in France is not the same way as we work in Italy, and it's not the same way as we work in Hollywood, and it's the same way in, in Mumbai. So all of that is different, and you have to accept and embrace it, you know, say, okay, this is the kind of project, this is the kind of budget, this is um, what my client expects, you know, uh, the old triangle equation, the thing like quality, speed, you know? Yeah, yeah, and time. Price. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh -huh. so important because, yeah, at some point, I mean, if I, if I get into your room and say, oh, you have to change everything because it's not, well, no, I mean, you have a budget and maybe your client is okay to wait for two more days for you to finish it and, and things like that. So all those parameters are very, very important. And that's not something that, that you will find someone on the vendor side to, to, to help you build on. Your, because it's really, building your workflow is building your business, technically. So what you're saying is that, it's not so much about color or color science is stepping back some and taking into effect the entire workflow, which, which sounds like could potentially be different from project to project as, and clearly from location to location. And that's just the way it is. I mean, we need to embrace the multiplicity of that. That's quality. You know, that's the old debate about quality. And what is quality? You know, quality for some projects is just to be able to deliver in two hours, you know? Yeah. And that's the quality of this project. Quality on some project, it's it's about, you know, having 4K and, and, and that's it, you know? So it's all that kind of quality. You have to understand it. I, I believe the, the people who really succeed in that business are people who are able to understand how 
to what kind of quality their client needs. And what is changing now, especially with new um, uh, digital acquisition um, systems and cameras and things like that, you have, I mean, when I started 10 years ago, uh, mostly we would set up a workflow that was a telecine and uh, a finishing system and a, a, and a grading system, and we'll spend a couple of weeks to fine-tune all of that, and then for the next three years, all that stuff will just be a cash cow. Uh, <laughs> it's gone. I mean, now it's about... It's not like that now, though. No, it's gone. I mean, you, you set up a workflow for three hours, you know, for pro, for one project. That's exactly that have, right. <laughs> you know, and that version of the software will be able to get it, and this one, and all that. So I have to train people to be uh, to be proactive, because the worst you, you that can happen to you, really, is to be reactive. Say, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to get things and I don't know how to deal with them. It's, it's also a kind of a mindset. Right. And it's all about quality. So what are the key issues today that need attention in post-production workflows, especially for the smaller houses? What do they need to be paying attention to? Well, there are two things that are quite difficult. Your question about the vendor was actually quite important because um, I believe we are pretty deep into uh, marketing uh, jam at the moment, you know. <laughs> um, we get all these crazy specs about anything that goes to the moon, you know. Yes. And it used to be simple. You used to have either video or film for, for the ingest side. Right. And on the other side, you had a CRT or film. Yeah. You know, pretty much as simple as that. Now you have, I mean, you have at least 10 different uh, cameras that you will see pretty much all the time. And there is a new camera with a new codec pretty much every month at the moment. Yeah. And on the other side, you have LCD, LED, OLED, uh, projectors like DILA, SXRD and everything. And yep. it goes crazy. It goes all, all around the place. It's crazy. So how do you, I mean, how do you, so, so let's talk more about that. I mean, that's, that's the, I, you know, that's a, that sort of further illustrates the issue here is, is there's this multiplicity of of um, display technology types, and and then there's this issue of the fact that for small production houses, you might have a visual special effects guy across town that you use, and a graphics guy somewhere else, and someone else shot it, and someone else is editing it, and someone else is in another. These are all in different locations, maybe in the same town or in the same community, but they're all using slightly different equipment, and the display technologies are all different. So in addition to the part of the workflow, of course, is this color pipeline or this color consistency and the problems that are so inconsistent from location to location. It's that's true. That, that's all about interoperability. Um, you wouldn't believe that. I mean, pretty much small production houses and the bigger labs in the world and the biggest, the biggest visual effects companies in the world have exactly the same problems at the moment. All right. Let's talk about it's, that. You know? The multiplicity of, of uh, sources, uh, these uh, file exchange between different facilities and, and, and people, mm -hmm. from the simplest wedding video <laughs> to trans transformers, really, it's exactly the same problem. You know, then it's about the budget to fix that problem and find solutions and things like that. But you have um, major blockbusters today that are shot on, on ProRes. You know, with an Alexa, and that's pretty much the same kind of progress you would get from Blackmagic camera, and uh, you know all those things. It's, ex it's exactly the same problems. Well, what are what are what are some of the solutions then? Let's talk a little bit about, uh, especially in the in the color area. What 
what what is it you tell people what what do you what what do they need to be doing more of to get this um better in hand and with the end result being an improvement in production quality what what's what sort of changes or insights do they need to have um again i believe it's a mindset is is really to um you know and sometimes it's really about being anal about something and say okay now i'm testing this and i'm you know I'm, i take a color bar and there is one guy who did that uh, in, in, I believe it's in Sweden, yeah. and he took a color bar in Final Cut in ProRes and, and put that into all the softwares he had in the facility and tried all the different uh, flavors of, of ProRes. And actually, not one software was able to ingest and output correctly the, the color bar. It was crazy. Actually, if you ask me, the, the easiest, the first thing you should do in a, in a post-production environment uh, to fix a lot of the problems is to kick ProRes out. Really? Uh, oh yeah, ProRes. ProRes is just is just a nightmare. What do you recommend? Uh, that's the problem. Actually, there is no. <laughs> the, no, really. Uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm, I have to say they. I, I like the um, the. Uh, I mean, if it's a replacement, I mean, I, I coming from a um, you know high-end visual background right. and the, you know that would be DPX and and five sequences and OpenEXR, but I mean even. Uh, Today, as I said, some um, some blockbusters are shot on ProRes. But the thing is, if you can get that into in, into something, you know, as soon as you've processed your ingest and you need to move, you might want to use something that is um, uh, working better. Af depending on the facility and the kind of workflow, you know, if it's uh, uh, more like CG based or uh, just editing and simpler things, it it, it might change. Um, um, uh, Avid DNxHG works pretty well if you are if you're in the in the highest uh, bit rates. Yes, it could, it's, it's, and we have a lot less problems with the color shifts and things like that. So it's um, it, it depends. Then again, it's about understanding what are the the constraints, what are the systems that are used. It really depends. Well, if color consistency was your primary focus, then which which one of the codecs would you would you recommend or ways of in passing files back and forth? Well, as I said, the um, it depends on how, uh, who you need to exchange with. For example, when you exchange with your, your client, yes. um, the size of the file is important. So you might you you will probably end up with H two six four. Right. H two six four actually is 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 a problem because uh, you you open the same file you know on the same machine in two different QuickTime windows and you will have a color shift. Yeah. Uh, I it's, know. It's, yeah, it, there is. I know. That kind of stuff, but that that is quick time. Actually, it's not. It's not. Well, let's much. say, but like, say between the editor and the color grading uh, stations, what what would be your recommendation? Uh, again, it is, if it's something within the same facility, I like Cineform, for example. Uh, if it's something where you don't have to get outside, Cineform, if your system support it, can work pretty well. Again, it really depends on how you you build up your your facility and who you have to exchange with. Yeah. Because the thing is, exchanging means also that you might have to duplicate, so uh, use more disk space. To um, uh, so you will fix one problem on one side and generate another problem on the other side. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, all right. Well, let's let's move on to another topic then. Um, we could probably talk about that one for the next couple hours, right? Oh, a couple of days actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, a couple of days. It just depends on the scenario and the workflow, and um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I noticed that about ProRes. Very frustrating. Very, very frustrating. It is. <laughs> 
Anyway, let's talk more about the trends in display technology uh, uh, and, and cinema and post-production industry from your perspective. Um, uh, yeah, it's a couple of things. You know, the new Resolve 10 is going to um, allow DCP out, and I think you can actually play DCP so that you can review what you've done in, in Resolve 10. I don't know for sure, but, I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, it seems to me like... Um, with the popularity of Resolve being what it is now and it's growing and whatnot and the ability now to very easily tack on and plug in DCP options, that there's going to be lots of theater, you know, cinema type material now that's going to be available for the digital cinemas in your area. That's cool. But so what are, just talk in general, where do you see the trends and displays going, technologies and things like that? Well, at the moment, it's it's uh, it's pretty much wild, wild west because uh, well, you know, we've the, now. I, I think we can say now that CRT is dead. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yes, officially. I believe there is a consensus on that now. Yes, yes. Uh, you might see one somewhere, but it's. I believe we can say that. Um, there's been over over the years. I mean, machines like the the Cinetal, uh, Sony has made some uh, some pretty good um, LCD ones. But uh, well, now they have OLEDs, and yeah, now the OLED. But the LCDs, they had the, the main problem really is the contrast ratio. I mean, right. at best you get eight hundred to one or nine hundred to one, yeah, which yeah. is definitely not enough. Right. On the opposite side, you have the OLED that gets you extreme contrast, actually way too much because most people TVs are, is just like a regular LCD, so you have just too much contrast and it won't work and you also have other issues like the viewing angle, you know, the, the, when right. you, you, you look on the side, the colors start to shift and then the contrast start to shift. And um, so at the moment, um, you have, and then, and then there is the, the, the UHD, the new 4K, yeah, ultra, high uh, ultra yeah, HD that, that are coming too. And so, yeah, you, you're going to trade show, you have so many of them, and it's actually very difficult to, because again, it's all about marketing, you get all the specs, and it's all wonderful, they show all those colors and everything. But what I would actually recommend is, um, first, and it's, you know, it's again about how color works, you have the technical aspects and you have the artistic aspects. So uh, have a probe. If, if it's about making a decision about display, um, you know, have, make sure that it's properly calibrated and gives you the right colors in the right place. That's, right. that's very important. And if, if, it, if it's not able to do that, if you don't have someone you can rely on to, to tell you that, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take that, that display as a reference. Then if you have the right color, you play some content, you work with it and everything, and you feel because, you know, uh, at the moment, the, um, uh, the, the REC in REC 709 stands for recommendation. Right. You know, that's, that's very important because it's just a recommendation. And a lot of um, the specs were actually, you know, when they wrote that, it was in the CRT times where there was no much variance between two CRTs, whether now you have all the circuitry trying to emulate what the CRT does, and they all do it differently. And there is no, no way to make a Sony look like a Panasonic and vice versa. So at some point, you want, and within a facility, you, you might want to try to have the same everywhere. So you have that kind of consistency and have something that is pleasing to your feeling because they will react differently. And uh, even though they might have the, the same white points, they will just behave differently. 
So the best. So, so so let me just kind of interject here. You know, I mean, what I'm seeing is in in small and medium sized facilities is you go in and and they've got equipment they've bought recently, equipment they bought 12 or 18 months ago, two months ago. You know, they lots of people have moved to uh, you know MacBook Pros. I mean, they're pretty powerful now. You know, and especially with the Retina screens, not bad. And, you know, it appears as though the best you could do at this point, since there's not consistency in the manufacturing technology of the displays, they're all different. There's, that's the issue. And then the other issue is, is now more and more things will be going to, to cinema in various ways. That'll be easier to do. So artistically, you know, you want it to look the way you thought it was going to look on the big screen as it did. So probably the only way you can do that is get an excellent probe, maybe a Klein probe or something like that. And then something like the SpectraCal stuff. I know you were on their work, their, uh, their webinar uh, or whatever, yep. and attempt to bring each screen in as close as possible to Rec. 709. Yeah. With, with what you were saying at the end, which is like that technically they can each be brought in. There's software and hardware to do that now pretty quickly. I like, there's, I like SpectraCal's solution. But there are going to be some variances. You're going to yep. look at them, and they're not going to be perfect. But at least they're going to be closer. Is that fair yeah. enough to... That, that's the whole point. You will have one reference display. One reference, maybe a Flanders or maybe, maybe your Sony LED. It's the reference. You yeah. can bring the others And, and that's closer. really where, when you have to make a decision, that's your critical display. And, right. and you know, it's all about, again, where you set your, the, the level of quality in, in your facility and everything. But Back that's the original. place where yeah. if some people disagree, that's the place, you know, uh, where we agree, and then we try to match uh, match the others. Uh, something very important, actually, that people tend to forget is the influence of the lighting environment. You know, I saw a comment by you about that. Why don't we talk a little bit about it? Because I've noticed that too. I've gone in, and people will be like windows all over the place, and the thing looks washed out, and they're constantly complaining about needing more saturation. Yeah. <laughs> You, but That's, you run into this. Talk, talk, talk a little bit more about this because I know you, you had a comment on this earlier somewhere else. Yeah, that's that's a huge problem. You really have to have this um, uh, environment where you are able to. Light, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the thing is first uh, a video grading should be done in uh, in a room with uh, um, control lighting. Yes. In a sense that you would have uh, no window. You will have some light. You should not, not work in a, in a dark environment in the in a, in a pitch black. Right. Uh, that's really a bad idea. I know a lot of people li like to be because it feels cool. You know, it feels like I'm working in a cinema. I'm, I'm, I'm the big guy in a big room. But uh, that's not the way we do video grading. That's the way we do film grading. So it's a completely different thing. You should have um, uh, daylight corrected lighting for the room. And actually, you, you might find a, web, a couple of websites. I've, I've, I've set some, um, 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 some guidelines to, to, to build your room, but really have something that, that works like that. And again, as you might have your main display, your critical display, you might have also um, this, have that display in the critical room, you know, a place. Right. Right. Where I mean, if you have a very nice display in a room with all windows, a TV is is, is generally much better because it's able to get you more light. <laughs> you know, so it's a, the good display should be in a good room. Okay, what um, what do you think about wider gamuts? I keep hearing hints about the fact that the newer display technologies 
you made sort of reference to this uh, slightly earlier, but the, the newer display technologies actually can display much color, much wider color gamuts. And of course, with 4K, I think there's going to be an even greater push for that. Yeah. Do you think that um, this could be kind of a disruptive force that might happen in the next 12, 24 months where some vendors say, well, look, we're going to, especially in 4K, where we're not going to use 709. We're going to use a wider color gamut yep. and, um, and sort of start taking a maverick or rogue approach to, to things like that. that that's going to be difficult because um, uh, it's already difficult to manage Rake 709. Well, right? I know. I know. That's why I'm asking the question. Do you, do you and, think it might occur? <laughs> and you're, you're also in a, a very uh, difficult thing, again, about marketing versus our business. Fair enough. So, Fair enough, yeah. Um, People building TVs, they want to, to, to sell brighter colors and more saturated colors. Uh, what you want is have the right colors in the right place, you know. And, and technically, the problem is that if you have uh, the same no number of bits to address a wider gamut, yes. uh, then the precision in the nuances and everything will be lower. Well, okay, sure. You know, so that, that's a problem because you might end up with something that actually looks worse than what you used to have. And I have I've experienced it, you know, with some uh, because uh, especially for the in CG you might work with uh, uh, gamers displays and things like that. They're just definitely not reference displays, and they try to show you more saturated colors and everything. But yeah. as soon as you get into skin tones, you know, um, you know, trying to do Photoshop and and remove some wrinkles and things like that, you have a problem. Falls apart. You, ha you have mm -hmm. a problem. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, what about Asus? Do you see uh, that um, um, being uh, used in a more expanded way in the next 12, 24 months? Or is that sort of like just for the blockbuster video Hollywood type things? Or wh where do you see it fits in? I don't, I don't believe it's a, it's a, it's a Hollywood thing. It's, it brings a lot of, inter uh, of interest for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, what is... To me, the main important thing, especially considering, and again, uh, small studios have the same concerns as the bigger ones, in the sense that today, your average project being, you know, anything has a bit of GoPro, a bit of a 5D, and yep. then the, the beauty shot with the red on Alexa, you know? Yep. Or a Sony something, you know? Yep. And you have to mix all of these things, and, and really, it's... It can be a blockbuster. It can be anything. You know, I had I, I, I did a couple of weeks ago a music video for some friends. You know, and uh, we had shot with pretty much everything that people could bring, which was two Nikons and one Canon. And it was a complete nightmare to to try to match those things because oh um, all those colors are just coming from different places. And I believe if we get, you know. Um, it's pretty much the same as ICC in the print industry. You get the ICC profile for your camera, for your scanner, for your printer, for your monitor, and it's not it's not pitch perfect, but it gives you it it brings you in the in the in the right ballpark that at least you start from something that is not all over the place. And it's very important for Hollywood, I can tell you, because um, it's all about productivity, it's all about being fast. But to me, it's important for anybody being fast because productivity is also on, on, on the smallest project. You want to, to, to end up uh, uh, very quick and deliver and all that. So it's, um, ACES, it's, it's definitely not something that is finished yet. There are still some uh, major issues in the framework and things that have been reworked and things like that. So it's, it's, it's coming. But it already brings 
I mean, all the input side with the IDTs, the way you get your different cameras right. inside the ACs, mm -hmm. uh, can be used. And I have to say, it's it works pretty well. Good. You know, I think that's a topic that I'd love to take and drill down in much more detail and take a specific small case like that, actually, and just sort of go through it um, with you. We'll, we'll, of course, do that in another time, and we could actually have some charts or something like that. But I, I think it's a, it's a it, just understanding ACES helps you understand better the the bigger issues of disparity with equipment and how things can be brought closer it just it, it 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 i don't know to me it just helped me understand the whole picture a little bit better even though i'm not using aces and i don't understand aces down at the granular level conceptually i understand what's going on it just just helped me um sort of decode workflow situations better yeah it's and um, you have to um consider that when the guy started to work on that, really the goal was to make uh, a way to communicate between different facilities and different departments within the same facility. Same thing. And yeah. again, it's it's all about you know, um, it's not all over the place. I want something where I I watch a picture and I start from something that is balanced, from something that where the colors are in the right. The red is red. The green is green. You know, it's not like fluo green or it's not desaturated it's not like you know a log like a, a, a log you know um, um all those uh, short things that uh, uh, those projects that are shot in log c or with the the the, the canon camera with some curves and people <laughs> get used to the to the very flat picture and then when you want to to grade that back to something that has a, a regular contrast people say oh no it's you got you gone too far, but I haven't done anything. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a there's a whole another discussion around that, especially with advertising, where yeah. people who don't know what's going on they get so used to that from seeing it on the shoot and seeing it maybe when it was edited, and then when it finally goes to the color grader, they're like, "Whoa, it's too much color." <laughs> yeah. I strongly believe we'll have a reaction to that. It will be pretty much based on Instagram, very strong looks, you know, like it's just like a reactive thing. Yeah. We have to have that. <laughs> All right. Well, Cedric, thank you very much for your time today. This is quite fascinating. And, and um, your willingness to go into some depth and detail, share with us your knowledge and workflows, current issues. And I hope you have a wonderful time out there. And uh, the, uh, is it Broadcast Asia or Asia Broadcast? It's Broadcast Asia in Singapore. Broadcast yeah. Asia in Singapore. Okay. Um, how can people stay in touch with you? What's your uh, blog and uh, website? And I'm, um, I'm, so I'm um, uh, an instructor at the International Careerist Academy. So the iCareerist.com. That's where we advertise for the uh, the seminars and, and things like that. So, ICA.com. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, it's iColorist.com. iColorist.com, right. Yeah. yeah so uh, there will be this one in, um, uh, in well, next week in Singapore. In a few weeks in L.A., there will be one that will, will be more focused on uh, uh, the workflows, visual effects workflows around Autodesk products. And I should also do one about 
really a calibration and, and workflows. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that, that's a way. And if it's a more particular, so there are also some some webinars that are planned in the, in the future. And um, uh, also in case of emergency, I can fly. <laughs> it's <laughs> been to countries. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. But also, I also do more and more, you know, remote login to uh, people's machine to check what you know as a first approach. You couldn't believe, I mean, sometimes it just take 20 minutes to fix a problem yeah. and people don't have to fly me or anything. So it's just like, it's just like, you know, calling your, your lawyer. <laughs> I'm the color lawyer. <laughs> well, no, I, th I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's a very 21st century way of doing it. Well, I hope maybe sometime you'll make it back down to Texas, either uh, Austin in particular, since you love music would be great. But if you don't have a big enough audience here, maybe Dallas and uh, we can um, meet face to face. Sure, I, I'll make sure that um, you know about it, and uh, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, take care. We'll talk yeah, to you later. Thank you much. Cheers. All right, well, we uh, that's a wrap. Great. <laughs> How long did that take? Yeah, it sounds beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, well, okay. Um, I think I just need to put this together then, uh, and uh, uh, my new video and audio. I just came out okay. And um, great. I hope I get a chance to meet you. There's just so much to uh, to learn in this area. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm every year at NAB and um, <clears throat> trying to um, uh, to be I'm also with the, again with the, the ICA guys. We have the, um, a small party every year. And uh, so it's um, I'm pretty easy to a um, couple of things on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to uh, to reach. Well, I'll, I'll reach out to you on those for sure and stay in touch. And if there's anything I can do for you, you let me know. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, looking forward to get the video and make sure that um, it, um, it flies through my, my channels and everything. Make sure that um, it's, uh, it has some good audience. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Have a good evening. Cheers. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye.